welcome to another episode of Overlooked Giants. I'm Asati Nu, and in this episode, I'm meeting with guitarist, bassist, and music writer Lily Robinson. Lily and I first met many moons ago. This was around the time when I had started a band, an all-female band, called Fertile Concept, and I had come to a point where we needed to find a replacement for our bass player. I was told, oh, you need to reach out to Lily Robinson. At that point, I didn't know who she was, and I reached out to her, and I called, and she said, yes, I'll come, and I'll play, and boy, did she come and play. The fire she brought on that bass was extraordinary. Her timing, her feel, just, it brought everything together. I had no clue of the history she helped to make in the Bay Area at the time, but I am also wise to it now. Having the opportunity to listen to her story, I felt her pain, her struggles, but most of all, I felt her gift and her passion for music. She pushed through barriers and continues to. Her story inspires me to keep pushing and to continue to believe in what Divine has placed on me, and I hope that it does the same for you. My name is Lily Robinson, and recently been given the nickname of Turtle. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Wait, where did Turtle come from? I need to know. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a traumatic brain injury, and I was moving very slowly. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, my ex, her grandson, um, started calling me. Then I moved like a turtle. Gotcha. So okay. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. So didn't it, it, it was very interesting. I just needed to know. <laughs> no, it's all good. I'm sorry. Okay. Right on. Um, yeah. So yes, please continue. Okay. Uh, 61 years old. Uh, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, and I not just just a little bit young to, to really be able to um, participate in the whole Motown era. They they when I came up age playing music, they were moving to Los Angeles, being Detroit. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so I'm telling you, like, about myself, I guess everything pretty much always flows right back into music. Because it's always been, you know, maybe see for me, since I was, you know, very young. And um, so, yeah, I pretty much grew up in Detroit, uh, Started playing music, started playing guitar when I was 13. And I forgot, you just wanted me to tell you about, so I'm just telling you about myself. Right? Correct. Yes, just okay. uh, yeah. all about you. All, all about that day. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I just, I love music, and yet I, I grew up in a conservative Southern Baptist family. My dad was born in 1912, my mom in 1990. And they both grew up in northern Georgia, rural Georgia, and so there was no record player in our house. I mean, if you can imagine living, you know, with no music in your house and being somebody that loves music. And uh, I mean, I literally would lay in my bed and listen to uh, up there's neighbor. Uh, She had one of those with long stereos. Back in the day, they had these long stereos. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. My grandmother had one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would lay in bed and listen 
to the music she'd be doing, Al Green and Motown music from upstairs. I would just lay there and listen to the music that was, and uh, probably why I kind of like gravitated toward bass because from that distance, you, you hear a lot of the bass. Right, you right. Know, you're not listening to but uh, I, I love music and didn't really have a lot of access to it. Um, and I, I just begged and begged and begged for my parents to you know, buy me a guitar and girls don't play guitar. And it's fine, I did get one. So, um, so you, about when you did you get it on your own or was it something that no, was? No, finally, uh, they, they, they bought me. Oh, okay. As this old, old blues player once called it, uh, a plank of wood. <laughs> I, used to, I, used to, I started, when I was young, I started going to these, you know, speaking uh, to these uh, jam sessions. Mm. You know, I, I met someone who was a little older and they were going to these, it was like a gift at a house. People were jamming and it was like all, 90% old, old guy, old men, mm-hmm. you know, playing blues. But I, I was, Right there, trying to keep up, right? Right. And, and this old guy, I, I'll never forget it because it was a very wise lesson. Um, he said, uh, I, "I like the way you play, but but you talk too much." And I'm like, "I never say anything. I'm always in the corner, you know." And he explained it by saying, uh, "When you take a solo, mm. when you meet somebody and you start talking to them, you don't tell them everything right away. You, you know, you give them a little bit." You give them a little bit right, more. Right. You make it a conversation, you know, um, and not like, you know, friend, you know. And so I'm young, and he's all these old cats. seasoned loose there. So when it's my turn, I'm like, oh, everything I thought I knew, right, right. you know, right away. And so it was a very, very important lesson about, you know, improvisation, you know. And um, but he called me, and he said, you sound good on that plank of wood. <laughs> You know, and they all had his old, they had these BB King from 35. Right. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, here I am with a, a, a Kmart, you know, it's just, I mean, it was, it was a Kmart at the time. But anyway, I was still hanging, right? So when I started doing some gigs, uh, 17, 18, and um, went to a music, uh, vocational music um, curriculum in high school, Cast Tech mm-hmm. in Detroit, which that's some pretty, pretty good alumni. Regina Carter, performing now for me. Rex Billing Game, uh, Diana Ross, mm. Donald Bird. I mean, there, there were a lot of, you know, very talented people coming out of Cast Tech. They had an excellent music program. Uh, and I left there, it was the Berkeley College of Music. Um, and in praise to, to Cast Tech and also being a, a theory nerd, I ended up facing second year theory when I first went. Mm-hmm. Which is, like I say, because of that vocational program, you know, I was in a cast. Anyway, um, I didn't finish, got pregnant, came back home with my son. Mm. And uh, I mean, I, I loved the environment at Berkeley. It was like, I, you know, and I regret that I didn't didn't go back. And life, you know, life started happening, right. you know, job and working and all of that. And so I didn't go back. Um, so started playing, you know, local bands in Detroit. And you know, agency bands, you know, you play hotel lobbies and that kind of thing. Right. It was a good experience because you had to learn, you know, a thousand top 40, you know, 
song, rock, yeah, you play a whole genre, all these different genres of music, you know, a little bit of jazz, a little bit of rock, a little bit of R&B. But you have to have a, you know, a full repertoire when you play these kinds of um, bands because they play different, you know, venues. So it was a good experience. And, and I did that, um, I think, until I was, I'm going to say, late 20s. So when yeah, did you move was, into like, bass? When did you move into playing bass? Oh, bass? Um, oh, the first time I played bass was, was in high school. Uh, I was playing guitar 100%. And you know, I started playing upright bass mm. in the uh, chamber, yeah, chamber orchestra. Okay. And and I I had always loved bass, but I also loved playing guitar, and it never really occurred to me to pick up the bass. Um, but I was doing that, and there was a dad on tour constantly. They were constantly doing you know, student performances, and so I played bass on a student performance, and it was it was a borrowed bass. It wasn't even my bass, and. Then it was okay, they were like, okay, this is me. Okay, this is touching me. Right. I right. right. So I ended up getting a base. And so that then and also this this is why my gig uh, perspective because I could get gigs as a bassist and gigs as a guitarist. Right. And um yeah, you know, I had made like all city jazz band and I was doing really well on guitar, you know, kid. And um I actually had some uh Invitations to play with the New Detroit Jazz Ensemble, which is an adult organization. Um, I, I wasn't able to do it because my parents, my mother, wasn't able to do it. But uh, Detroit was very vibrant. There were all kinds of after-hours places after after the gig, go to the you know the joint and and this is like these prolific jazz musicians till like five o'clock in the morning. You know, so there, I mean, I, I filled my life with music as much as I could. You know, at that age, mm-hmm. you know, the young, and then as a, you know, when I became a little older, same thing. And um, but that's how I got into bass. Initially, was just somebody needed a bass player for the thing, and I started to play upright. Okay, so how so, did you learn to play guitar? Was that were you self-taught? Did you work? Self-taught. Okay. No, self-taught. I can think about my parents weren't really music was like, what you know. Um, they were very, my mom was somebody who, I don't know if you saw that movie, The Help, where the young girl had to stop working, I mean, stop going to school and take a job as a domestic. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother uh, went to the third grade. Okay, okay. Even though to speak with her, you would never know that, but she was super, you know, educated, you know, in a sense of her own, you know, learning. And right. So, but, um, she only went to third grade, and her whole existence was service. Black women were homemakers, and outside of the home, they were, you know, caretakers, you know, house, you know, housekeepers, etc. And so her her world had been so limited. So that here I am, this, this kid who clearly is not interested in any of that stuff. Right. You know, not becoming a nurse or a teacher or or getting married and having you know any of those normal. Uh, things that black women do. So we kind of clashed. And um, so there was no support around music at all. Uh, even though I clearly, you know, belonged to it. So kid across the street had this huge dreadnought guitar, adult dreadnought guitar with a 
with metal strings. And I could barely get my arm over the top of it. <laughs> but he, I would beg him to let me play that thing. And I could, got to the point where I could play chords and you know, a relative walked up to the front porch one time and she was like, oh, that sounds so good. And it was like the first time anybody had ever said, wow, it's great that you're playing, right. you know, guitar. And uh, so I, I just, from then on, I just, like I said, I started begging for them to, to buy me a guitar. And, and before they did that, I begged the boys across the street to play that for Right, right, right. <laughs> so with, so with not having the... Um the support, you know, from the family musically, how, how was your, how were you able to get out into the world? I mean, I, I hear you saying that you, you know, were, you kind of went to these jam sessions where you sneaking out the house. Like, well, how did you get to the. That's pretty much it. I did. Um, well, as an, you know, as a young person before I had the agency, uh, I would uh, say I was going to a friend or, you know, be supposed to be doing something else. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was how I would end up getting out of the house or spending the night. With some, I mean, it was totally dishonest. So, I mean, it was sneaking. I was sneaking. Right, right. You know, and, and but I wanted to do it so bad because I wasn't the kind of kid that was like trying to go in the club or drink or, you know, do, you know, run the streets. I just wanted to play music, yeah. you know, and, the, and these people were people who had been doing it forever. They were, you know, seasoned musicians, and they, and I have to say, they were all respectful, and nobody, you know, because that was my mom's thing. I don't want you going around all these old musicians, because you know, because they're going to be lecherous. You know, right. that was her whole thing. Right. And and that was absolutely zero. I mean, maybe a minuscule amount of some, you know, okay, but but ninety nine percent of the situation was people that were seeing that I was really loving music and mentoring me and supporting me and respecting, you know, me being in the spot. Right. You know. Right. Um and, and then too back then it was a novelty. Girls a girl ooh, a girl playing guitar. I mean back then it, it wasn't as common as or near as common as it is now. Right. So it was sort of a novelty. Mm-hmm. And the sisters looked out for me too. Yeah. The older women they make sure I was good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you feel like being in Detroit probably added to that sense of security because Detroit was, especially at that point, and still now, just so musical? And you know, you had Motown and you had all this talent that was coming out of there. Do you feel like that that kind of made it a safe space for you musically? I think it, it was. It, yeah, it, I mean, it would certainly have made a difference if I lived in rural Iowa because those, you know, those influences would not have been there. Right. Um, yes, yeah, so I think yes, being in Detroit in general, um, and being able to get myself into those spaces because for, in my own home, that wasn't you know our experience. Right. So the only experience I had of the, of the you know of music was, you know, like back in the day, you know, somebody had a boots in the quarter, electric two twenty five, a big long Detroit car with, with the top down, driving down the street, mm-hmm. you know, blasting the floor top. That was. You know, oh, my, my experience of music, other than, you know, the lady of stereo. Right, so right. at home, no, it's very limiting. And, and and there was no support. But the community, the, the music community, there was a lot to, to be around and to learn. So I kind of made it a point to get myself there in whatever ways I could. Mm-hmm. You know, until I got old enough to just say I'm going. Right. You know? So as you so let's let's stay kind of in that vein of your youth. Um, how did you 
or when did you first discover that you were queer? Hmm. Discovered it probably 11, 12, 13. Uh, actually acknowledged it and, and discovered it a few different things. Uh, initially, I kind of, I, you know, I felt a desire for women. I had crushes on women, but I never, uh, I kept wanting to say that it was something that was just a fluke or something. I mean, it was not real. It wasn't, you know, and, uh, I think the first, my first experience was, I think I was maybe 19, I'm trying to remember now, about 19. Um, well, the first I mean, sexual experience, I mean, I, I was wrong, I kissed a girl and I liked it, I think I kissed a girl about 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I think earliest was, you know, like pre-adolescent, um, I just knew that that I find women, I would have crushes and find women attractive. And my brother, old brother was gay, and I, I kind of saw the, you know, the disapproval, um, in, you know, family life of him. You know, I heard some struggles, you know, heard some struggles that he had right. with my mom. And he was out of the house at 17. Mm. And, um, so in a way, I kind of wanted to deny it because I, you know, what I had seen was so hard, you know. And then uh, he died of AIDS uh, when he was 29 years old. Right, right. And uh, he was my cheerleader. He was the only, really, the only person in my life who really saw me, you know. Yeah, and, and that's usually me. the way that it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> And, uh, but, um, I'm sorry, I'm so bad with this. What you asked me a question, and I, oh, I, I tend to go like, oh. when, when you discovered that you were queer, and, yeah, and you right. were mentioning how your brother um, yeah. really supported you in, in being you. Yeah, yeah. And so, but yeah, I, I, I knew it early, and I didn't, but I didn't really, I never came out to my parents, actually. I just started living my life. And they made the, you know, put two and two together. Right, right. And uh, I, 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 my first, first lover was, a, was 15 years older than I was. And she was also played music, she played guitar and bass. And we met, you know, in a band situation. Right. And I just, you know, fell in love with her and started, started seeing, I was living pretty much at her house. I was there all the time. And so then my mom figured it out from, you know, from that, and that I never had boyfriends, and I never was one to, you know, worry about, you know, heels and dresses and do what, quote unquote, what girls are supposed to do. Right. So, I wasn't exactly the apple of her eye. <laughs> now, when you got, when you were with this woman, you did you have your son at that point? You mentioned you had your son by, when you were in college, so did you have uh, your son at that point, or...? Yeah, yeah, he, um, he didn't live, he, I, I, it was like I lived at my lover's house because I was there all the time, but I officially lived at home mm. with my parents. Okay. Uh, and so how, how life happened was, you know, I go to work, I go, go home, be there in the afternoon, you know, you know, after work, but then late in the evening, I'd leave and come to my, to my lover's house. And that's, and, 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 and the thing with that, 
my my mother was uh, very much sort of taking over the parenting part. Mm-hmm. It was like you know I could set a limit and say you know you can't ride your bike, right? You know today you know and go to work and come home and he's riding black up and down the street. So, it, you know, it's like she took over the parenting thing and like if I, if I did take him to my level's house, it would be constant call. You know, like, what's in the ring? You need to come back home. Blah, blah, blah. And she'd be totally giving me a lot of grief about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's two things. One, as a young person, I was selfish because it was like it was easier for him to be at grandma and grandpa's house. Right, right. Right. It's terms of me doing, you know, what I love, and so in that regard, it was a bit it was immature because I did not just say, "No, this is my kid," and you know, he's going to stay wherever I'm going. He's going with me. I didn't have the confidence because, mm-hmm. on some level, you know, they're talk about how horrible it was for him to be in that environment and how horrible it was for me. I mean, in part part of me felt like he was better off there because of my own self doubt. Right, right, you know, right. I was just carrying a little bit of that homophobia, you know, yeah. in my consciousness, yeah. in a way. And, and so um, it pretty much ended up that he lived with my, my mom, and I lived with my lover. And then later, even when I got my own apartment, a two-bed apartment, he had a room, everything. But he still would end up being there. It's like all kind of excuses and reasons, you know, you don't have to get that boy up so early to, when you go to work if you even here, you know, anything. And so he, he was, you know, largely raised by by my, my mother. Mm-hmm. And although we had, you know, when I moved to California, I did bring him, you know, with me. He uh, constantly wanted to go back mm-hmm. to Detroit. Well, you know, I mean, it was it had become a, a sense of home to him. And, um, but I, I think it also speaks to the ways in which um, our parents and our upbringings in terms of, you know, whether it be religion or whether it just be society, what have you, um, tend to sort of plant these seeds in our minds and justify uh, some of the things that we do that even though we know you know, like you you knew that you were happy in your relationship. You knew that you wanted to be with this person, but you still have these voices in the back of your head saying otherwise. And so it does make it difficult. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, even as a parent, I know some of the struggles that come with that, you know, so um, yeah, I definitely feel the, the struggle in that. Um, so with, with balancing that relationship with balancing your music, uh, balancing your child, <clears throat> excuse me, how are you really able to find yourself in that? How are you able to discover whatever your happiness looked like in that process? I, I think that I knew really early what my happiness was, and that was really a life, you know, doing music, playing music. I felt, I feel like, and I feel, that, you know, I feel like music is my medicine. It's my source. I, I, it's the thing that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And um, not just on a, like a, it's not a professional thing, like get a gig thing. It's, even if I'm not playing, like right now, you know, very few people are even out there doing anything. But 
even if I'm not playing a gig or professionally or doing anything, I always, you know, the music is always feels like me, feels like home. Right. Um, and so I think finding myself beyond that it took, which is hard, hard, very hard to deal with sometimes when I think about it, but really 100% saying I'm getting ready to live my life. Right. So um, I had this brain injury. Um, I had to reboot totally. Um, and initially, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't remember how to play "Kumbaya." I couldn't. My hands didn't look familiar mm. on the neck of the guitar, so I had to you know, totally you know, reboot my hard drive in terms of playing music, driving, a whole lot of stuff. Right, right. And, and, and so. It really struck me, you know, ironically, that's what happened when somebody struck me, but it really struck me that, you know, when am I going to start doing me? I, I was 50 right. in the past. And, you know, and, and I have lived most of my life, uh, if not doing exactly what people thought I should do, feeling guilty about what I wasn't doing that people thought I should do. Right. So other people... Their influences kind of burdened me until I got older, and it was like, you know what? When are you going to like, just, you know, be a thing, you know, be you? And so that was really a, a, a you know, a wake up call, if you call it that. And I really, at that point, said, whoever feels about anything about it, whatever your opinions are, blah blah blah. This is me, and this is what I'm doing. Right. Right. So how did tell me um, how you ended up in California? What was it music that brought you to California? Was it relationship? How did you get to California? Uh, I had always, I had wanted to move to California earlier than I actually did, but when I found that my brother had AIDS, I did not want to leave Detroit. You know, while he was alive, right, right. And when he died, I want to say eighty eight, eighty nine. Um, he died in June or July, and I was out here like two months later. Mm. You know, I, I packed my car, and my my ex, you know, my lover, we were friends at this point. Uh, she drove across country with me, and I I was here. And my sister was already living in Southern California, so that was that was my destination. Oh, okay, okay. Initially, but I, I didn't. I wasn't there. I was only there for a few months. Um, we went to a concert with the Al Jarreau, and someone that I knew was playing guitar for him. And I, I connected with her. She told me about a pro- project that uh, Narada Michael Walden was doing up, up here in Marin. Mm-hmm. And um, well, he was putting together a, 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 a girlfriend type band, all, all female band. And so I contacted his manager, and he said, Send me you know, your promo package, which I didn't have. So I had brought my four-track recorder with me, and I just sat down and played some of my original, and go down to bass and guitars and vocals. And had my sister take a picture of me, go to, typed out a bio, sent it, and um, he called me and said, Narada wants you to come up. So they flew me to uh, San Francisco. And having never been 
Northern California or California at all. I got off the air, I got off at the you know the airport. I got on BART, and the address that they gave me, I showed to the agent, mm. and I either I got to tell the truth that. Or, or she told me the wrong information. But I, I was lost on bar. Gotcha. <laughs> so, <laughs> so between the plane being late and then me getting lost on bar, uh, by the time I got to the club that they were playing at, it was like, uh, it was like the end of the, the night. And so I, I met Narda. He, he was like, you know, I, hey, I love your music. He said, you know, I can tell you from Detroit. Got that thing. And He's from Detroit originally, also, and so he was very complimentary. And he said, "If you're interested in being in the project, you have to move to Northern California." And I was like, "Yeah, I'll be right back. Go get my call." You know, start moving to Northern California. That's how I ended up here. And I knew immediately that it was the place for me. And sounds, you know, it sounds like woo, but when I was driving across the Bay Bridge, um, coming into Cal, coming into um, San Francisco. It just felt like this is my place. This is this is me. This is this, this felt like it because yep. LA felt plastic to me. I know that LA feeling. felt, you know, LA felt felt totally industry. You know, I mean, I went went sat in at a club while I was down there, but it didn't feel right. But up here, it did so. That's why I ended up in the Bay Area. Yeah, I had that same feeling the first time I came out to the Bay, and I was like, yep. This is home. This is okay. this spot, right? This is it. Yeah. So All right. I definitely know that feeling. <laughs> okay. So in the context of your relationship, you talked about, you know, your kind of first serious uh, lesbian, queer relationship, if you will. Um, was that at first, in fact, your first love or did you have a first love prior to that? I say that was my first love. Yeah, I, I, you know, I had only, like I say, crush. I had a crush on a woman who was, she, she was just, just, we were the same, you know, around the same age, and she was a school friend. But both of us were just as afraid uh, of what what this was about, you know, that we never really, we, we kissed. And that was, that was it. Because I think both of us were, you know, very much in our fear, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, so, so yes, um, my first lover was the older woman that I, that I got with. We were together every six years. Hmm. So was that also your first heartbreak, I take it? No. No? Okay. No, it was just, you know what it was? It was that I was very, I was young, and she was very, like, go to work, come home, put your curls in your hair, go to sleep, be ready for work the next day. And I was like, come on, let's go to the dance session. Come on, let's go play music. You know, in the evening, I wanted to go out or go to the, you know, the women's bar or, and so we, we, she was very settled in her, her life. And I wasn't, you know, I was, as they say, new to the life, mm-hmm. you know, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. And it wasn't that I wanted to go and sleep around. It was that I just wanted to go out and be social. Right. You know, and she had already, you know, she's like been there, done that. And, and also, you know, she just, uh, she was settled. She, you know, she was comfortable doing what she was doing. Right. And she tried, and she would go sometimes, but for the most part, I would be going, you know, with a Swiss range or something. So, but there was the heartbreak was really on, on, if there was ever really heartbreak, it was her, 
because uh, I became attracted to someone else. And we always had a really mature relationship. And I told him that I was attracted to someone else. And he knew who the person was because this, this was the keyboard player in the band we played in. Mm. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, okay. And so her, her response being like, like, you know, trying to talk about it, she was like, oh, her? Like, she was like, you know. And so we never really had any real, you know, I, I told her I was lonely. You know, I said, I'm here, you, you know, I'm here with you, you're here with me, but I feel lonely. Right, right. You know, and so I tried to have a real, real, you know, discussion around it. Um, or, and I think I'm, I'm patting myself on the back. For somebody my age, I think that that was very useful. Yeah. But I ended up having a swing with this person and and moving, you know, out and getting my own place. But there was never any uh, like argument and you know back and forth. It was like it was. It had just come to this. That that part of our life that just changed, right. but we remained friends, right. you know, today. Right. You know? And uh, so it, it's it was just it just changed, and and that's the kind of pattern that I had hoped to have in relationships, you know, moving forward. Was, you know, being able to be honest and talk about I mean, these are real feelings and they're real issues that come up you know, in, in relationships, and so I just felt like. Uh, you know, I regret that she was hurt because of my, you know, wanting to move forward. But I think that she, you know, I don't, I don't think I know. She understood it and, you know, didn't hold me into this, oh, you're bad, you're, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, yeah. Which is, we both agree that that's, you know, we need to not be a couple anymore because of that. Right. So then it, who was, tell me about your first heartbreak. When was your first heartbreak and what was that experience like for you? Oh, first heartbreak. Um, you know, don't get to it. it. In terms of relationships, it was much later. Um, part of that I we were here in San Francisco, from you know, there, and uh, you know, I loved her very much, but she had an addiction problem, mm. and I didn't really have any experience around like, the whole false stuff or or um, Al-Anon, codependence, any of those right. kinds of right. you know, concepts. And she struggled with it. She's a she is you know a wonderful person, but that, that was a very hard hard experience. Um, and finally, you know, uh, I had to leave, you know, and then, uh, so once we went, we were together, when I brought my son from Detroit, mm, okay. you know, he was at this part of the time. And, and on some level, it was ideal, you know, we went camping, you know, he had his little friends over playing on the video games. It was totally, it was great. But there was that relapse thing right. that happened, right. you know, and some of the things that just happen when, you know, you're not able to be honest and work on stuff. Right, yeah. And so it just, you know, deteriorated. And it really wasn't, I say for my son, really, I felt like, and it wasn't a good scene for him. I come from work and they're arguing like two teenagers. Mm, you know? Right, right, right. So, so that, that wasn't easy. 
easy. And so I, I that was after heart operation because I really knew this love, love that. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was hard. But my real first heartbreak, I mean, my heart being broken about anything, mm-hmm. was over a band. Oh, playing the band. Really? Really? Yeah. Okay. Weird, tell, okay. tell me about it. Tell me about it. Uh, it was just that I was playing, I, I was playing these top 40 bands, you know, agency bands, you know, they pay your life bill, right? You get paid and you play top 40, no original music. It's just, when you chop, get awesome because you're playing, you know, three, four nights a week. Right. But uh, they told me about a group in uh, San Francisco that was looking for a bass player. And they say the rhythmal fusion, which is what we call it, is Afro, Cuban, Latin, bones, and all sort of a mashup, as it were. And so I, I went to see them at El Rio, and I really liked what they were doing. And uh, when they came to see, I was doing a gig in Half Moon Bay, they came out, a couple of them came out to uh, my gig. And so they asked me to join the video, but what I interested in, I was, you know, yeah. So I stopped playing with the top 40 band, those fading gigs, and started playing with them. Mm-hmm. And I loved the music. It was all women, it was all original music, and it was like Apple Fusion. And I mean, it was just like, that's my, that's it, you know. I had never really had any experience playing that music. Right, right. But when I heard it, it resonated with me so deeply. Like, it was, Soul food, if you want to call it that. You know, I loved it. And um, so I played with them, and we just traveled like literally from the Bay Area to upstate New York, we were down in Miami Beach. I mean, we traveled a lot, and some of that traveling was a lot of that traveling was like in a van driving from place to place. To get. Right. So it was hard, right. yeah, you know, yeah. and, and we didn't make very much money because. A lot of the, the profit went back into, you know, owning the van, or you know, buying the van, um, products, you know, CDs. Right, and, right. So, yeah, not, not CDs, albums. I was thinking of albums and cassettes. Gotcha. You okay, know, all right. And t-shirts. So we, <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. They didn't exist back then. But, um, so I, I put, like, I, I believed in this stuff. It was, it was great music. And when I first Thousand, they were playing like 99% women's, you know, gigs, women's music, right. you know, events and stuff. And the band, I mean, it, it, it was cooking. I mean, we started, it was like, it, it, it all white women, and even though phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal musicians, they had a bass player and a keyboard player who really did not lock into that style of music. Right. And you could hear that. You could hear that in the recording. You could hear that when they played. That part of it didn't lock. Mm. So um, they they had a, a student uh, woman started playing with them, uh, Remy Rodriguez. Mm. Okay. She was playing, and then and then I started playing, and then everybody, the manager, people that knew them, everybody, like, this sounds like a whole another band. And we started getting these, you know, gigs that are like. You know, uh, we opened the Tower of Power at Fillmore West. Okay. You know, all right. And, all right. You know, we were getting the you know, mainstream gigs, you know. And quite frankly, because I can say it, it was a very, very good band. And um, so 
they were going to record another, we were going to record another project. And the manager was racist. Mm, and okay. very much, well, at this point, the keyboard player had quit. Okay, okay. Like, this isn't our band. That's their band. We just, you know, we just hear this. You know, that, that was kind of how she felt. And I'm like, no, that's not how it is. And, you know, but she was right in, in the sense that that's how, you know, I got treated when this thing went down. Um, but, you know, it was, what it was was that I was the kind of person that was not accustomed to bowing down to people. And he was really, uh, in my opinion, he was a misogynist and he was a racist. And, you know, back then, you couldn't record your music and hit a button and it's all over the world. You know, back then, the, the record producer was God, you know, because you had, you know, that was how you did it. You, you went in the studio and with the record label, they had the money, you know, and the resources to, you know, press the records and, you know, product right, and right. distribution. So everybody wanted a record deal, right? And he's a band that plays all of his new material. It's instrumental music. It's not like some some by singing and you know, pop music. It was like already in a genre that is difficult. Right, right. And he, he's an opportunity to record. So basically, the guy said, "It's her or me," and they chose to have him produce them than to stand with me. Hmm. And. It broke my heart. I mean, I, I'm going to go beyond that and say mental breakdown. Right. I was crazy. I was so, 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 so dedicated. Well, yeah. I and, mean, you know, that kind I mean, of... They felt like family. Yeah. You know, they really did. And, and I had worked so hard, you know. And, and then there's also on the, the the privilege side of it is that, you know, we all work. Now, all of our labor went into the money so my labor went into this project right. it wasn't like I played bass for them and they paid me mm-hmm. you know for working for the band I was in the band and so but when this came down it was like we decided to go on without you but but not a word about and therefore we need to compensate you for your work hmm. it was just like that, you know that was it right and and there's no content and, and, and it took like a boycott um, and, and public speaking about it in, in public. Um, there was a publication called Ashe. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is the Kelsey, the third project. And um, I mean, you're speaking to people. Um, Angela Davis, I spoke, you know, spoke, you know, with her. And different people, you know, being supportive. And you know, and, and so I just publicly speak out. And then they said there's going to be mediation. And so there was never any real like connection in terms of what happened. Mm-hmm. It was just more like around the business part of it. And they, you know, we paid Katie. And that was pretty much the, the idea. It was nothing about the other part of it. Right. So did they... It was, I mean, white, it, it was a white mediator, so... Did they at least end up compensating you for... They did compensate okay. me. Okay. They had to pay me. But it was like... It was... The part that I was saying was racist because this man didn't single... Didn't 
you know, treat any other person in this band that way except me. And when I would say, you know, they'd be racist, they would say, Oh, well, we don't see any racism. Well, yeah. That's... We don't I just don't I just don't see it. I know, yeah. I know, right? Yeah. I mean that's so, kind of the story of our lives, yes. So I was alone in this and and I was hurt, not hurt and angry, you know. And uh, so anyway, I'll tell you the, the the positive side of it was that and another uh, proof that music is my medicine was that my response to that was writing a whole bunch of music um, and a play mm. called um, I Can't Hear You When You Talk Like That. Mm. Mm. And the, the basis of the play is that when you, you know, when you kind of talk to somebody about racism, you know, to a white, white person, it doesn't matter, you know, it could be somebody like that has an even relationship that we have, you know, which is like family. Right. Like when that comes up, a barrier comes up, and I, you know, I can't hear you when you talk like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, so the line is, I can't hear you when you talk like that. To be seen and not heard, the smiling black. Uh, so why don't you take this knife out of my back? Mm. You know, and um, this is where where do we go from here? So, but but it was a that was what the play was about is you know black women trying to talk to you know white women about racism. Mm-hmm. You know, the dialogue now is like everywhere, obviously because of you know the internet. Um. But back then, it was not. And while, it, you know, I knew clearly that it was about race for him, I think that the racism that happened for the members of the band was, was just that it was an uncomfortable thing and they did not want to deal with it. Yeah, well, they didn't, uh, it sounds to me like they didn't want to deal with it, but they also wanted to stay on the path of trying to get this. Uh, yeah. Record. Keep this yeah. record deal going. This, you know, right, and, right, dangling um, over their head, right. right. And so, I mean, have you like stayed in touch with them? Have you spoken to any of them since then? Do you? I mean, have you seen any uh, of them? One. Okay. And I love her, love her, love her. Um, when I first got back, uh, I ran into uh, Tammy Hall, who I've you know, known for many years before I had left, and. Uh, she said she was doing a CD release party down in Santa Cruz and she wanted me to play. And uh, and I said, Michelle's going to be on the gig. And I'm like, okay, you know, fine. You know, but, you know, and so, I mean, first thing, when we got to the venue and we saw each other, the first thing she said was, I mean, not, like, first, you know, hi, 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 you know, hug. But she said, you know, um, we were wrong. I, if I hadn't, if I knew now what I, if I knew back then what I know now, I never would have gone along with that. You know, you were a black woman with a child, you know, and we just, you know, basically exploited you, mm-hmm. you know. And so she was, she said, if you, you know, if you ever want to get together and talk about this, you know, I, I'm, I'm here. And, and she was, and we did, you know, and, uh, you see the phenomenal, phenomenal talent. You tell girls, I don't know if you know her, but she, you know, she's such a creative and you know, beautiful spirit. 
And I think that it was ignorance. And it was fear. And it was intimidation. Yeah, yeah. You know, the guy was real rough. He was bossy. He was insulting to them, you know, um, as in like, you know, you stupid girls, and I'm going to, you know, produce this thing to you. Um, and the sad and the worst part about it, too, is that um, I had spoke directly with in person. Um, we, uh, um, uh, oh, uh, yeah, I know the song. I'm trying to think of who the artist is. Yeah. Uh, oh, I know what's that. Like, it'll, it'll anyway, come to um, me probably at midnight yeah, me, tonight, but yeah. <laughs> me too. Yeah, right. But anyway, she was interested in producing our. That's gonna be horrible. I can't even remember that. She was interested in um, producing our CD. Yeah. Our, our manager had sent her, you know, the package. And we were told that we hadn't heard back from her. And so uh, my girlfriend and I and mom went to Great American Music Hall to hear, hear Patrice Rashawn. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, I, uh, you know, went to the stage door and it's like, you know, because I'm with the blazing redheads and, you know, going about the you know, they were like, come on back. So I go, and and she says, oh, hey, you know, I love what you guys do. Um, what's going on with that? And I said, you know, we were told that, you know, we hadn't heard anything back from you. And she says, I've had the same manager for years. And if I said I'm interested, he got back. And she gave me her number and her manager's number. And said that she really liked what we were doing. And to me, I thought I would personally would be like screwing that old, the ogre, you know, that was that treating everybody like you know, ignorant little girl. Right, right. And that's like, you know, of course, this I thought everybody was gonna be overjoyed. Um but the manager just basically what, what uh, said instead of saying I should have told you guys this is, this is what was happening, she said, Oh, uh, she wanted too much. And she never so she never told us that. Um that she was interested. Right, that she right. So, knowing her, uh, you know, history, around um, I mean, she would have probably worked with us. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that if we had a report and said we don't have that, you know, that kind of cash, right. we don't have that response, I still believe she would have worked with us because she was, she was a genuine, like, yeah, what's going on? I mean, she was genuinely, like, um, into it, you know, and I try to you know, express that to you know, my bandmates, but they couldn't hear it. It was like, you know, this whole racism thing with you, I don't know, you know. And, you know, so that was it. So they just basically decided to fire their employee, so it was not an employee. And, um, and it broke my heart. Yeah. So that was my biggest problem. Yeah. Which, you know, it's really unfortunate because they're, they're when you think about the potential of what could have been had oh. other choices yeah. obviously been made, um, you know, it, I'm, I'm sure that probably added to your heartbreak. Um, I mean, it, it sounds wonderful that you were able to at least connect with one of them who understood and was able to offer an apology um, for, you know, making the wrong choice, essentially. Um, and, and, yeah. uh, 
I, you know, it's frustrating when I when I hear these stories of um, queer women of color who are amazing, amazing artists who have to go through so many struggles, not only as women, um, but also as women of color. And then as queer women of color, it does infuriate me on so many different levels. Yeah. Um, and... I mean, clearly, you know, you've been able to move on in your life and to still proceed and do great things. And so uh, obviously the creator had some other plans in mind, but it just, I can imagine how frustrating it is because I know how frustrating it can be for myself. And so um, being in such a time where things were so dependent upon producers and labels and all these other factors, you know, it just it frustrates me to think about all of the potential that they let go of, you know? Um, and so moving on and, and sort of shifting into another uh, vein, you did mention that you uh, write a lot of your music and that you had written this play. And in terms of your writing, in terms of um, your, your creativity, do you find that your sexuality is a part of that inspiration for some of the work that you do? Um, no, that's weird, but no, I never thought of that question other than being out here when I that, but I don't think so. I think my inspiration around writing is more around um, political, um, like activist, artivist mm-hmm. type stuff, and uh, spiritual, as in, um, I love that, you know, um, not when I'm not religious, you know, like Jesus right. the wheel, but but uh, but it's still in a spiritual sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's been when I think about all the movies that I've done, um, very very little of it has been around, you know, my sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's actually it's in it. I mean, it's been around some emotional things around women. I've written some you know, baby baby songs, but around a relationship, but it would have been the same thing had it been a man, so it wasn't specific to you know, being right. you know, like me. So, I'd say no, I don't know about it. You know, I just think, you know, in terms of being a lesbian, uh, I just feel like that's, that's who I am, and I, I think today's world, it's a lot, it's still hard, but it's a lot easier. You know, um, back then, it was, well, you know, I think about, like, people like Luther Vangelis, I think about the, the, the struggles that Luther Houston had. Mm, mm. I think about, like, what their life might have been like had they not have to have that hidden, you know, right. part of their, them. And, and, and that, and that as black people, we are, we are very hard on, you know, like, you know, back then you had Madonna, some woman at an award show. Right, 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 you know, right. Her sexual freedom, you know, was seen as like, you know, oh, hip and brave and blah, blah, blah. But uh, a black entertainer, uh, an artist, you know, being gay could seriously affect their career. Right. You know. Yeah. I mean, even a little richer, everybody, I mean, good Lord, you know? <laughs> I know, right? I know, which is so crazy because it's it's one of those things where I think about uh, pretty much 
every black church and their music director, right? And it's like, everybody knows, you know what I mean? Like, there's no way that you don't know. However, you can't can't say it out loud. And I just, to me, that's always been the craziest thing because in so many uh, areas of life, you know, these secrets are killing us. You know what I mean? Like, just just not being able to have... um, have that freedom to be who you are uh, uh, just is literally killing us. And, and the secrets that we are carrying within the black community, especially um, I just think is, you know, so traumatizing uh, to try to come up with and, and be yourself in the midst of so much judgment and um, just negativity all in, and, and oftentimes negativity followed up by, you know, the Bible. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right. wait, I thought that message was supposed to be different. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, you know, the first time I ever went to church and was like, okay, I'm here. It was uh, 11th Wonder, City Refuge, mm-hmm. way back when it was over in the city. Right, right. Uh, and the first, I think they were just first getting started section. But uh, that's the first time I ever went to church because I mean, I had gone with my parents, you know, before family, you know, but, and it was always like, to watch, you know, like, okay, you know, when is this over? Right. Uh, and, and, and I didn't go on any regular basis at all. But that was the first time that I heard affirmation that I was okay. You know? mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, those are my city of refuge people. Hey. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, and the same thing with the first I played for about four years, um, and Soul Center of Light. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah, um, yeah. That's new thought. I, I had never heard of new thought ever until I, you know, uh, got here. Tammy told me about it. Tammy Hall, and she invited me to come play. I needed a I, you know, oh, and Gina Breedlove told me that. And I'm like, both of them telling me about the same place. Okay, I better go check this out because I was enjoying it for a while and I played for a church and I had to quit because I got tired. Every Sunday morning, hearing about how gay people don't, you know, you going to hell, right. you going to hell. Right. Like, 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 oh, come on, you get a car, you get a car. <laughs> the preacher will be like, you going to hell, you going to hell, yeah. everybody's going to hell. Yeah. You know, yeah. especially yeah. gay people, you know, I couldn't take it. Like, I don't care how much they can, I'm out. You know, and so I hadn't been back to a church, um, you know, since. And so I was very, very pleasantly surprised when I went to Heart and Soul and learned a lot. Good. Uh, So tell me, uh, I just got a few more questions here for you and then we're going to wrap up. But um, tell me in terms of what ways you you express love, your your version of self-love. Self-love. Authenticity. Acceptance. And uh, gratitude. That's my expression of self-love. Um, I, you know, have some deficits around initiation and organizational stuff, but it's all executive functioning. You know, uh, and I'm a little different post-injury, and I used to really, really beat myself about up about it. Um, I guess for the press, which is super press, the point where I totally just, you know, 
hung my guitars up on the rack and I'm not, you know, I give up. I can't play anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I couldn't not, I couldn't not play. So, you know, that didn't, that didn't last long. But, but self-love is a success and gratitude. You know, um, not judging myself when I didn't do something to a standard that I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, or that when other people, because other people will have expectations, and if I didn't meet them, you know, there could be some rejection, and it used to floor me. You know, just, I mean, I'm still working on that, but it used to really just tear me apart, and it hurt way, way, I don't know if my band was just um, emotional. Um, you call it resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to think of it as a as a weakness, mm. but it was a gift. You know, it was an opening, uh, opening up from the strong black woman. Nothing bothers me. To you know, I'm a whole human being with a heart, you know, and a soul, and I, you know, deserve to be loved. And so that that took some time, and part of that time was having the struggle through this whole thing. You know, this is and like you think, you know, okay, you're you're complaining, but I'm not complaining. I'm just simply explaining, you know, what the reality is. And, and that's that, you know, I don't know if I would have done it without it. I think, I don't know if I would have been able to do so 100%. I'm okay. Right. Without having had this happen to me, you know. So uh, you mentioned um, an injury that uh, pre- prevented you from, well, kind of stifled you for a while. Do you mind um, sharing what that experience was and, and how it affected your playing? Um, yeah, I was work, working, um, well, the nurse for like 30 years, LPN. Okay. And um, I had to take care of my mom and she just, when she passed, she was like, okay, I'm going to really get the first job that calls me raise a little bit of money, and I'm going back to California. I was living in Georgia, you know, at the time. And so, uh, the first job was a psychiatric, they had a psychiatric hospital. And I had worked there before, so they hired me, like, right away. And uh, I was working one weekend where we were, like, illegally for staff, and a unit of 30 men had two staff members on and uh, so I was trying to hurry up and, you know, like, get my meds passed and stuff so that I could come on the unit and help them. And uh, I was, you know, on site duty, you have to be very vigilant mm. over your surroundings and where everybody is. And I was lucky and talking to a client, and this guy, this man, came running from the back of the room, I'm told. But when I saw him, he was already airborne, headed, this headed for my head. And he goes over the desk. Hit in the head, and my head swung back. Wow. Mm. And he hit the cinder block wall, and then he hit the floor. So there were three different blows. Wow. So, it just, you know, that was the whole experience. Um, it really it just created a lot of, like you say, you know, obstacles. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the, the change, the trajectory of maybe, um, in my life, I don't want to say change the trajectory, but change my perception. You know, because I did have to relearn a lot of things, and it's a long time. Uh, initially, um, because also I'm working with working town and living in Georgia, you know, with the 
you know, horrible, you know, work protection laws, and, you know, and you already know the, the systemic racism in the medical, you know, in, you know, in our, our medical um, system. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had a psychologist who said, you know, it's, it's also because you, you know, you, you were assaulted, and then you come into the system, and then you get the assault. Yeah. You know, you assault it again, and so... Yeah. It wasn't easy, but uh, I had to really, I had support of, uh, of the three people who were just hundred percent behind me. And so when I got ready, when I got cleared by the neurologist to be able to drive again, like two months later, I was in the car driving back to California. <laughs> yeah. I interviewed people who were like, are you sure yeah. you want to do this? Yeah. You know, I was like, yes, I'm getting out of Georgia for a house call in the I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, um, my friend, um, Anna, Anna Maria Fichero. Yes, um, one of my, I one of my little yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, but way, way back, way back. Yeah, one of the first people I met in the 90s or something. But anyway, um, uh, I had some kind of little thing in the paper, on the, on the on Facebook about, yeah, I'm coming out, coming back, you know, or something like that, and Somebody had said on, you know, somebody else that I worked with, uh, Wadida Hamid. I don't know if you know her. I do. Yeah, I, oh, I, I mean, I know of her. Yes. Yeah. She, she was going to do a gig or something. And she's like, yeah, hurry back. I need a bass player. You know. But anyway, I, I guess I guess Anna saw the post on there. And so I, I was, you know, making my plans to come back. And and she she calls me. And she's like, really? Are you sure you're moving back to California? And I'm like, yep. And she said, oh, I got a room for rent. I'm like, well, hey, I'll be there, you know, and, and that, I ended up moving back. Um, initially, I was living with Anna and her partner, her wife. Um, and it was like, they just moved because we had a place together. Back then, you know, her, her kids were young and my, my son was young. We had a co-op, you know, living situation. So it was right back to the same family. Well, that is that is truly a, a a blessing to be able to have community um, to support you in such a way, and and you know, really, oh, yeah. your your story of especially your comeback, and even your story of of how you all how you started, in terms of just your determination for the music, your determination to um, to have music in your life, to learn the music, um, to let the music absorb you in all the ways that it has, uh, I think just speaks volumes to, um, your gift and your ability. And so that draws me to my last question, which is if you were to speak to any young queer woman of color, um, who might be finding themselves in facing some sort of obstacles as we all do uh, and trying to find their way in an industry that is not always welcoming and open to us. Uh, what advice would you offer her? Uh, the one thing you asked about uh, self-care because, you know, it can be difficult and there are so many ways where we are not affirmed, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as women, as, as women of color, and uh, especially and queer, what you uh, they uh, so there's so many ways that we're not um, firm, you know, in some, in some situations, and, and, and so that self love piece, being able to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. and and also uh, finding 
who really do see because mm-hmm. often in the industry people see you the performer you do the you know whatever you are there for the function that you're there to right. you know um, and so finding people that really do see you 100% who you are unconditionally um, and you know cherishing those relationships you know we, we need those kinds of support circles because you know, often come that you say but you know you just can't tell everybody, you know, and they just go, oh, you know, I really, I'm sorry to hear that. Some people are like, oh, you didn't make this, or oh, you didn't hit that note, or oh, you didn't, you know, and so find those people in your life who see your vision, and support the way you stay, they, they really see your music, they see your art, whatever you do, and, 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 and cherish those people in your life, and cherish yourself, you know. And, and don't hold up this yardstick of, you know, what making it mean. Right. Because that's another thing that I think a lot of pressure comes on to young artists. It's like, uh, you know, making it, you know. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, to me, making it is making art. Making it is making the music that I'm making. Right. You know, right. not being acknowledged by, or well, now they follow it, you know. That's still in how many records you sold or whatever, but you know, but making it for me is making it it is that thing that I'm putting out into the world, you know. And um, I know it's the last question, but I just want to throw out Chrome Stone. That's what I'm making right now. Okay, all right. Um, Tell me about that. <laughs> okay, uh, it's a, um, a, a project that I want to put together. You know, Chrome, C R O B, Chrome. You know, it's come to mean in popular culture, uh, old, crashy witch, you know, type thing. You know, old crony. I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? Whereas in, in indigenous communities, um, the crony, reaching that status with, with wisdom and with respect. Um, it was like, you, you know, you have something, you achieve something, you have something to share with the community. Right, right. And right. so, crony funk is project that I want to do and I've approached some of you know, my uh oh, my piece, you know, about doing and it's it's all original music and I I want the viewers to do to be all women of the chrome age. You know, and, and there go, you know, uh, chrome songs. Right, right, so, right. And, and so my plan was to try to start getting it together the first of twenty twenty one. But with the situation that came upon us, you know, I'm not sure exactly, you know, maybe you're going to have to set it back another, I don't want to say another year, maybe another six months. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like, everything's so up in the air right now, it's hard to Right. To but, know I mean, no, because yesterday, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's my thing right now, phone song. Well, that sounds know? great. Yeah, I'm excited to to hear it. And I I know you have, are going to have some amazing, amazing uh, women joining oh, in the project. So yeah. Yeah, I'll be uh, Yeah. Right. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for I'm looking forward to it, and I'm writing all this music that you know. Like I say, it's it's about the things that are important to me. Yeah, yeah. It's just like feeding the spirit of young people, you know, and uh, it's just feeding the, the concept of love, you know, three hundred sixty degree love. You know, that's the thing. Um, you want peace inside of you. When, I mean, if you want peace around you, you, you have to have peace inside of you. Right. And that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to putting it out. 
Yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds like fun. Like I said, I'm I'm excited to to see the results and uh, to to be there, and hopefully I can at some point, you know, we'll be to a point where we can all be there live <laughs> and do it. Yeah, I know. And and I'm always excited to hear from you too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, well, I I certainly appreciate you taking the time out um, to to meet and um, to share your story. And I am looking forward to being able to share it with everyone else. And um, I'm just also looking forward to the opportunity to be able to sit and reflect more um, around your story. Because again, like I said, I just I find it extremely inspiring uh, just how you've been able to push through so many of the barriers to make your way towards the music and to make it happen in spite of. So, uh, first of all, thank you for being awesome. And then secondly, yeah. <laughs> thank you for doing the interview. <laughs> oh, no, my pleasure. My pleasure. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to this interview with Lily. Please be sure to follow the links attached to the podcast for ways to connect with her and be sure to follow her on social media to find out what she has coming up next. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes. Be well, be blessed. One love. Ooh.